0: Our New Testament reading comes from Hebrews 2.14 this morning, but let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I ask that you open our eyes as we turn to your word. Let your truth permeate our hearts and transform us to be more like Jesus, our risen Savior. Amen. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself.
1: There has been nothing, probably nothing more predicted and with more accuracy than the life of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look here, uh, I know it's a little bit hard to see, but every single line on there is a, a prediction, a prophecy about Jesus in the Old Testament going to its fulfillment in the New Testament. If you were to zoom in on that and you were to look at the very first line on there, What you would see is the text that we're looking at today, which many people consider to be the first prophecy, the first good news about Jesus. The fancy name for it is the proto evangelium, the first good news. And we're going to look today in Genesis 3.15 at the first good news that we see about Jesus. So we're going to look at Genesis 3.15. If you have your Bibles or need to use a pew Bible, go ahead and open that up. And we're going to read that. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would be with us. Holy Spirit, guide us by your word. Make us more like Jesus, we pray. Amen. Genesis 3, and I'm actually going to read verse 14 as well. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then here it is, the first gospel. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is God's word. So the first thing you need to notice if we're going to understand this passage and we're going to understand how is this about Jesus the first thing you need to notice is that word enmity God is decreeing enmity between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman and so we need to ask what is enmity enmity is hostility it is to treat someone as an enemy it is hatred God is decreeing hatred between these two sets of offspring. Now, if you have the wrong object to enmity, if you have the wrong object to hatred, it is devastating. It's absolutely devastating. One one area where we can see that is racism. The, The wrong object to hatred, and it is devastating. But if you have the right object... If you have the right object to hatred, if you have the right object to enmity, it is actually profoundly liberating. What what do I mean by that? What I mean is that there is a proper object for hatred, and the proper object is evil and its consequences. The proper object for enmity is evil and its consequences. So here, when God is declaring enmity, what he's doing is he is Giving enmity, he is giving hatred its proper object. Some some people, some religions, they they won't do this. Some worldviews will say, "Well, evil isn't even real, so you don't need to worry about any of this enmity stuff. Evil's not real." Um, Western culture, the culture that we all live in, basically says that the the embodiment of evil, this idea of evil, um, if you hear about the devil in any of it, it's kind of like. the devil's really the fun one that gets you to do the things that you know you want to do, and he's evil. Wink, wink, right? That's what our culture teaches. But what we see here is that Christianity is saying that there must be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent because evil doesn't belong. In God's good creation. The proper response to the evil we see in the garden is to hate it because it doesn't belong in God's good creation. That's why in verse 14, God is is saying snakes are going to slither on the ground. He's, He's not suddenly taking legs off of a snake, okay? You know, maybe that's why centipedes have so many. He took them off all the snakes and put them on the centipedes. No, that's not what God is doing. What God is doing is he's looking at the snake and he's saying, evil belongs in the dirt. And it will always belong in the dirt. Evil belongs in the ground. And that is what we see in this first part with enmity. And so when we think about the evils of this world, and you think about what is going on in this world, and you see things that are wicked, any worldview, any worldview that either refuses to acknowledge it or that places hatred in the wrong place is insufficient. And only here do we see that God is setting the proper object for enmity, and that is evil and its offspring, evil and its consequences. And here, he's actually setting it up as something to be overcome. He is setting it up as something to be overcome, something that won't be around forever. There is redemption promised in this passage. He shall bruise your head But you're only going to bruise his heel. Now, if we look at evil and we say that evil is something to be overcome, here's the next question I have. If this passage is about Jesus, which I believe it is, then why is Jesus the only one who can overcome it? If evil is something to be overcome, why is Jesus the only one who can overcome it? Well, it's spring, and so things are starting to grow, and so if you go out and you look in your yard, if you didn't do some work before, you're going to see some of these lovely things. And they're everywhere. And you pick one, and another one comes up, and you pick another one, and another one comes up, and you tell your kids, hey, I'll pay you a nickel for every one you pick up, and $50 later, you still have dandelions in your yard. Why is that? It's because when it comes to dandelions, you have to pull up the root. And when it comes to any weed, you have to pull up the root. You've got to get it down there in the dirt, and you've got to get that whole thing out. Or guess what? Another one's going to pluck up somewhere else. It's just going to start to grow up, and they're going to be everywhere before you know it. You have to have something that can get down to the root. Here's the thing about evil. It's a lot like these dandelions. It's a weed. It's a parasite growing in God's good creation. And and what happens is we can try and we can try really hard and people have throughout the years to to pluck up that, that wickedness and to get rid of it. But at best, we're plucking dandelions. We need someone who can get to the root or else there will always be another Stalin, another Hitler, Another Putin, as it turns out. There will always be another bully. There will always be another thing. There will always be something coming unless someone can get to the root of it. And only Jesus, only Jesus can pull up the root, the sin and rebellion in the hearts of people. How does he do it? How does he do it? The, 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 re, the way he does it, the way God has done this is the thing that is so surprising that even with all of these prophecies, nobody saw this coming. Nobody saw this coming because it is so surprising and so unexpected. And no other religion, no other religion says that, that their God will do what Jesus has done. Jesus comes to bear the punishment, to die in our place. We just heard in Hebrews that he shares in flesh and blood, fully God, fully man. Why? Because the children have flesh and blood. And those are the ones that he came to save. And so he's going to do that in order to crush evil and its offspring, in order to stomp on it. That's what he's going to do is he's going to share in flesh and blood He's going to live the sinless life that we should have lived. He was the only truly innocent man to be executed. And what we see is that through his life, in order to crush the head of the serpent, he he lives, he goes to the cross, where he is nailed to the cross. And he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. A little later, what do, we, what do we hear? Jesus cries out from the cross, It is finished! He's taken from the cross, he's buried in the tomb. And then three days later, he rises again, crushing the head of that serpent, proving his victory over sin and death. And then as the scripture tells us, he appears to the women first and then to the disciples and then to hundreds of witnesses, many of whom are killed for declaring this truth. Christ is risen and he is risen indeed. Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, it crushes evil and its offspring. And scripture goes on to tell us that by faith, that root... Of evil in our hearts, sin and its consequences, by faith, it's crushed. Christ's life is yours. As Reverend Childers said, Christ is up and so are you. His sin upon the cross, our sin upon the cross, his righteousness given to us. Now, If you can be a little bit cynical at times, like me, you hear that and you think, how do I know? How do I know he's done it? How how do I know that this has actually happened? How do I know when the root is gone in my life and in others? Sometimes... Sometimes you look at people and you see dramatic change. You see, you see fantastic change that, that seems to happen overnight. But a lot of times what usually happens is, is there's a, a change in the heart that begins to produce gradual results. It produces a new kind of growth. It's not the weed that's growing anymore. It's something different, something else that is growing. And as you look In the lives of those who have been touched by Christ. If you look in the lives of those where that root has been dug up, it may take a little while, but you will always see the change over the course of the life. From from before, there is something different after. It's like one man he was arrogant, he was a racist, he was a criminal. He actually said that he loved to tempt others to do evil. Sounds like offspring of the serpent right there. He would go out. He would go out and with other people, he would go out and he would kidnap entire families and then he would take the families and he would go and then he would sell them separately to the highest bidder. He was a slave trader working on a slave ship and then Jesus got a hold of his heart one day. And he went on to write those words that we know so well, and I bet we could all sing together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. What's What is it in your life? What is it in your life that Christ is, is rooting out? Maybe you're in that process. Maybe, maybe you're, you're looking for the new growth, praying for the new growth. Look to Jesus. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you still see the root is in there and you've been trying to pluck it up and you just can't get it. Look to Jesus because he can deal with anything. Anger. Despair. Despair hopelessness, that affair, the addiction, whatever it is, Jesus can root it up. If that man can be forgiven, so can you, and so can I. And the other is also true. If I can be forgiven, and if you can be forgiven, so can he. The root of sin crushed, pulled out, and the life of Christ planted inside your heart so deeply that no one and no thing can ever take it away, all because Christ is risen, and he is risen indeed. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection, and ascension. Thank you for the life that you offer us. Jesus, you took our sin, all of it, and you gave us your righteousness. The benefit of living that right life and good life is ours. Lord, for those that don't know you yet, draw them to you with your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Pluck out that root. Give them new life in you. Lord, for those of us that have that new life, but we're struggling, Lord, help us to see that the root is gone, that your grace and mercy will prevail. And help us to live out our new life in you. And Jesus, for those who are walking strong in the Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we ask that you would keep us from all temptation and deliver us from all evil. Lord, we look forward to that day. We know that evil is defeated, that sin is defeated, but we look forward to that day when you will finally crush death underfoot. And it will be no more. Only the joy of Christ forever. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain seated as we worship in our hearts with the choir. Would you please stand as we affirm what we believe using these words from the letter to the Romans? Say this with me. If we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Thanks be to God. Amen. Okay, I'm about to run down that way so I can catch those of you that are hurrying to lunch. And then uh, remember, parents... Um, we're doing kids over here in the courtyard, don't turn them loose just yet, if your, parent, uh, if your kids went to Kingdom Kids, then uh, you will need to come through this way and pick them up, um, we can't keep them forever, but we love them, and um, we're going to go to the courtyard, photo booth is out here, visitors check in online, we are so glad that you could worship with us today, happy Easter, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, Amen.